Amen. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to Proverbs chapter 21. How about a sermon? Uh, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2 and verse 3. We'll get there in a moment. We've been in a series a little off and on this summer on the book of Proverbs, ancient wisdom for modern times. Today, we're going to talk about uh, the wisdom of justice, the wisdom of justice. I thought to myself, should I be talking on justice my first time back or injustice my first Sunday back? Maybe I should talk about like how God wants to bless you, you know, and uh, maybe that'd be the easiest sermon to preach. But, um, but actually, I've been thinking about this sermon even before I went on vacation, even before uh, all of the events that have transpired in our country this past month as it pertains to uh, racial injustice and uh, issues with the police and uh, political stuff that's happening. So this was, I've been thinking about this for a while. And so we're going to talk about, here about justice today. And last week, I, I would say this sermon today is a good part two to last week's Rosie's sermon. I love to hear Rosie speak. She blessed us. I listened to the YouTube uh, video. Uh, and she talked about prayer, orienting our lives in prayer and the rhythm of prayer and the contemplative life. Today, really, I'm talking about what does it mean to be active in the world. But you cannot really understand what it means to be active without having a deep, robust prayer life. And you really don't understand uh, the implications of prayer until you are really getting active in the world. And so prayer is to lead us into faithful engagement in the world, not fearful escapism from it. That's really important we get that. Prayer is to lead us into faithful engagement, not fearful escapism. And so, um, and so one of the ways we faithfully engage is by living a life of justice. And what does that mean for us? So that's what we're going to learn about today. Uh, and I'm excited. Woo, I'm excited. We're going to have a good time today. Okay, uh, Proverbs 23. Let's pray. Let's invite the Spirit to speak to us as we enter into this passage today. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, day by day, morning after morning. And Lord, when we consider just our lives yesterday, Lord, our sin and our bad attitude and all the things we thought and all the things we've done. And Lord, your word says morning after morning, your mercy is new. And so, Lord, we thank you for your generosity towards us. We thank you for your grace towards us. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness towards us. And, Lord, I ask that your spirit would bring these scriptures alive in us. May we be the church that you have destined us to be. And may your kingdom come, Lord. May your will be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. At some point in our lives or another, we will witness or personally experience some form of injustice. And how we respond to experiencing injustice reflects a lot about who we are and tells a lot about the God that we worship. Now, injustice, when we experience it or when we see it, is to light a fire under you. Is to light a fire under you. 
And a couple of months ago, I experienced an injustice. You see, I received a parking ticket. <laughs> Let me tell you about this parking ticket and the injustice that I experienced. Rosie and I, we had a date. It was a wonderful time. We, we got some time away from the kids. We, we had a wonderful time, watched a movie, had some dinner. We got home. And as I've talked about many different times, sometimes it's very difficult to find parking in my neighborhood. But that night I found parking close to where I live. And so it's dark. We're wondering, are we going to be circling? And boom, we found one. Thank you, Lord. We found the parking, and we pulled right in there. I said, this is wonderful. The next morning, Rosie got up. She had to run some errands. She gets into the car, but before she pulls off, she takes a picture because there was a ticket on the dashboard. And so she sends me the ticket. And so I'm puzzled, to use emotionally healthy language. I'm puzzled about this <laughs> because I'm going, why did we get a ticket? And so she reads it, and it says, you park in a no parking zone. Now, I've been in this neighborhood for years. I've always parked here. What happened? And so I start doing my research. And first of all, I find out that uh, they did not let the community know that a new no parking sign was coming up. In addition to that, as my anger starts coming to the surface. In addition to that, the way that they positioned the no parking sign was in such a way that you can't even see it. And so day after day for weeks, three and four cars were being ticketed day after day after day after day. And so after paying 75, 100, whatever the ticket was, you start getting upset. I let me speak in emotionally healthy language. I start getting, let me speak in the I. I start getting upset. And so what I start doing is I start sending emails. I start making phone calls. I start looking at my neighbors and saying, this ain't right. This is not right. We should talk about this. And I did not, I called them. They couldn't do anything about it. But I would not let this thing go until I spoke to person after person after person. This is what happens when you have experienced injustice. A fire is lit inside of you. And it's a very human response to respond that way when you have experienced injustice. But it's a Christian response when you respond that way when someone else has experienced injustice. It's one thing for you to care about your own injustice. It's another thing to care about other people when they have experienced injustice. And what God is calling us to do is not just to be concerned about our own personal injustice. He's also calling us to address the injustice that we see from other people. And from an early uh, time in our lives, from a very young age, we have discovered and researchers have discovered that we all have what I'm calling a justice gene. There is a justice gene that all of us have been born with. And I read an article recently from NPR, and the title of the article was uh, Crime and Punishment in a Preschooler's Mind. Crime and Punishment in a Preschooler's Mind. And what they wanted to research was how early in a child's development do they begin to experience this sense of injustice and fairness, and what do they do about it? And so I, as, a, as a parent of two children, I know one of the things as kids grow up that they have is this keen sense of injustice. I know that because my daughter from the time she was three and four years old would say these words, that's not fair. 
That's not fair. Why do I have to go to sleep? That's not fair. Why does he do this and I can't do that? That's not fair. And so from a very young age, children understand this notion of fairness and justice. And so what this NPR article wanted to do was to get further data on little, ch- uh, little kids here. And so what they did was in the UK and in Germany, they put together uh, some research and they had two experiments. The first experiment was to take 150 kids in isolation, one at, one at a time and put them in a room with a puppet, a little puppeteer. So they had a little puppeteer. They see the puppet. The kid is sitting there. There's cookies on the table in the first experiment, and the puppet steals the cookies from the kids. They wanted to know what does the three-year-old do when the puppet steals the cookies. And so 80% of the time, the three- and four-year-old would Take the cookie back, as you would. They recognize this is an injustice. You took my cookie. I'm taking it back. But what they also researched was how do children at three and four and five respond when they observe an injustice, not to them, but to someone else. And in the second experiment, they had the kid with two puppets. And one of the puppets took marbles from the other puppet. And the other puppet was upset about it. And they said over 60 to 70% of the time, the three-year-old, the four-year-old would go to the bad puppet, take the marbles back, and give it back to the other puppet. And what they discovered was from early on in life, we have a justice gene that we recognize when something is not right and something is not fair and something is unjust and we have to do something about it. Now, in our culture today, I would submit to you that we need to begin to activate this justice gene. We need to begin to activate this justice gene. Because when you look in our society today, what we see over and over and over and over again, and this is not new, but what we begin to see is injustice is rampant in our society. Injustice is rampant in our culture. Injustice happens on personal levels, and injustice happens on social systemic levels. Injustice happens when someone says, I'm going to do a job for you, and you pay for the job, but they don't finish the job, or they do it in a wrong way, and you pay for it. You say, no, this is not right. This is not fair. Injustice happens on personal levels. But injustice happens in societal levels as well. And this is what we have seen on and on and on, especially with the uh, advent of the Internet and 24-7 news cycles. We are a witness to tons of injustice that comes our way. When we see a man by the name of Alton Sterling, An unarmed black man shot by police officers in Baton Rouge. It is a disturbing picture of injustice. When we see human sex trafficking in Queens, a couple of blocks from our church, and we see how people are treated as slaves, this is a disturbing sign of injustice. When you look at Flint, Michigan, A community having to drink toxic water in just a few neighborhoods down in wealthier neighborhoods, their water is just fine. It is a disturbing picture of injustice. Man, when I go to the Mets game and I want to buy some soda, (laughs) on the block, it's $1.25. You go to City Field, it's $7.75. 
And as I'm paying for it, I'm saying, something's wrong here. As I'm sipping on my Coke, something is wrong with this picture. And so we are inundated with ideas and experiences of injustice. Now, when we think of justice, we have to broaden our understanding of what we mean by it. Because we tend to limit justice and the language of justice to the courtroom. And justice in our culture tends to be limited to punishing criminals for bad deeds. And so when someone does a bad thing and they get convicted for it, we say justice has been done. Or on the other side, when someone does something that might be bad, but they don't get convicted for it, we say this is a miscarriage of justice. But biblical justice is more than just punishment for wrongdoing. It's much broader than that, and I want to unpack that a little bit. The Hebrew word for justice is the word mishpat. Let's learn some Hebrew today. Let's all say it together. Mishpat. That's the Hebrew word for justice. And I like how uh, Tim Keller uh, describes what this Hebrew word is, that mishpat is giving people what they are due, whether punishment or protection or care. And this is what we see throughout the scriptures, giving people what they are due as human beings made in the image of God, whether it is punishment, protection, or care. One of my favorite definitions of justice comes from Cornell West where he says that justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. And one of the things that we need to see and what we're going to see in our text this afternoon is what justice is and what our role in bringing about justice in the way of Jesus looks like. And what I want to submit to you, this, this central thrust out of this passage is this line here that worship without justice is worthless. That worship without justice is worthless. That is to say, we can be singing like we're doing today and giving and volunteering and doing all of our church stuff. But if we at the same time are not working for justice, our worship is worthless. I'm glad some of you are clapping. First two services, they just stared at me like, what are you talking about? Worship, and this is what we get. Worship without justice is worthless. Let me prove it to you. Proverbs 21, beginning in verse number two and three. Hear the word of the Lord. A person may think they are right, their ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. Verse three, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. To do what is right, not to think what is right, not to think what is just, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now, when you understand the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, you understand how surprising this verse really is. Because so much of what God has commanded his people in the Old Testament has to do with sacrifice. 
In the Old Testament, God was so detailed and meticulous about sacrifices. There were specific sacrifices for specific issues, five different kinds of sacrifices for five different kinds of issues. And so much resources were put into the sacrificial system. They built a temple. They identified priests to, to maintain the sacrificial system. These, these, these sacrifices was deeply ingrained into the psyche and into the practice of these Jewish believers in the Old Testament. Sacrifice was commanded by God. Sacrifices covered sinners for their transgressions. And it was, in this way, it, it helped to keep their relationship with God in right standing. And so sacrifice was central to their spirituality. They could not think of a world outside of sacrifice. But then you read Proverbs 21. And Proverbs 21 says that all of that does not matter if we are not as well concerned with justice. And here's what the people of God missed in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and throughout the ages. We have missed the notion that to worship without justice is worthless. We've missed it throughout the years because we tend to focus on our relationship with God, sacrifice for my sin, and don't realize that to sacrifice and to offer what they would do for God was not just to impact their relationship with God, it was to also impact their relationship with people. And so the people of God had a one-dimensional and one-directional spirituality. It was me and God later for everybody else. And so what the proverb writer is telling us and what the prophets say over and over again is that it's not just you and God. It's you and God and others, and not just any others. It's you and God and especially those who are vulnerable, especially those who are poor, especially those who are marginalized, especially those who are overlooked, especially those who people can care less about. It is not just you and God. It's you and God and others and the vulnerable. And so the Proverbs saying you cannot have a sacrificial relationship with God in the Old Testament and not care for the vulnerable. And time and time again, you see God get angry in the Old Testament and in the New Testament because people would have a one-directional and one-dimensional relationship. Now, I want to just unpack this a little bit because I want to show you how uh, angry God gets. And I, I, want to, I want this to spur something in us. And look at what God says in Isaiah. We see justice all over the book in Isaiah. Look at chapter 1. This is a, I believe it's a Eugene Peterson's translation. But, but hear this translation that gets to the heart of it in, in Isaiah chapter 1. He says, I, this is God talking, I can't stand your trivial religious games. Monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Meetings for this. Meetings for that. I hate them. You've worn me out. This is God. This is the ancient one saying, you've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, religion, religion. While you go right on sinning, when you put on your next prayer performance, 
I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or often you pray, I'll not be listening. And do you know why? Because you've been tearing people to pieces and your hands are bloody. Go home and wash up, clean up your acts, sweep your lives clean of your evil doings so I don't have to look at them any longer. Say no to wrong. Learn to do good. Work for justice. Help the down and out. Stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for the defensiveless. That is Isaiah. Let's not stop there right while we're at. Let's go to Amos. Amos says it this way. Justice in Amos. He says, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. I didn't stop there. Yesterday, I was making something up. I said, what if I were to have a translation of the translation of the Hebrew Scriptures? And so let me give you my translation of the translation of the Hebrew Scriptures so that we really understand, so we go out knowing what the Bible says about our lives here. This is my translation. I can't stand your multiple church services. I'm fed up with your Hillsong, Catalyst, Global Leadership Conferences, and all your emotionally healthy spirituality. I want nothing to do with your capital campaign, your superficial tagline and measurables. I'm sick of your money-raising ways, your fancy website and cool font. I've had all I can take of your self-referential worship. When was the last time worship was about me and not you? Do you know what I want? Justice. More and more of it. I want fairness. Massive doses of it. That's what I want. Period. The RIV will probably be coming out soon. The Rich International Version will be coming out very soon here. Now, some of you might say, well, Rich, that's the Old Testament. That's when God was angry. <laughs> the New Testament, God is nice. Let me tell you the New Testament. Look at Jesus in justice here. This is what Jesus says as it pertains to justice. Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now, ironically, in the scriptures and in throughout human history, the biggest obstacle to justice often is religious people doing religious things. Amen. Religious people focusing so much on God that they refuse to see any injustice in the world. And you could argue that to, to focus on God means that you also see the injustice in the world. Often the biggest uh, obstacle towards justice are Christians who have been justified. But to be justified doesn't mean it's just you and God. To be justified means you also work for justice. And so this proverb, Proverb 21, is a proverb that comes against our self-deception. The self-deception that it could be right with me and God, 
And I could also be okay with the injustice that's around me. But the, the, the proverb is saying, no, that worship without justice is worthless. And until we see this, we are living the, uh, really deceptive lives. And so the gravitational pull for many of us is to overly concern ourselves with ourselves, with eye issues, with my stuff, to the degree that we miss out on the pain and injustice in the world. And we focus on ourselves for many reasons. The first reason we, we, we focus on ourselves is because for many people, justice is just exhausting. We, many people experience justice fatigue. That one after the other, you experience, you see injustice after injustice after injustice after injustice in all walks of life. And you say to yourself, what else can I do? I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And so one of the reasons we don't work for justice is because we experience justice fatigue. I would say, though, that one of the reasons we don't work for justice is because it's theological in nature. That we have believed something about the gospel that Jesus knows nothing of. We have believed that the gospel is about me getting to heaven. And not also about heaven coming to earth. And so we spend a lot of our time worrying about souls and salvation. And us getting really uh, uh, insurance out of hell. And what we have not really understood as well is that salvation in the gospel is not just about the afterlife. Salvation in the gospel speaks to this life. Salvation in the gospel is not just in the age to come. Salvation in the gospel is in this age here. And so Jesus describes for us in his first sermon, he tells us what he is after. He tells us his priority. He tells us why the Spirit of God is upon him. And I love what Jesus says, that the Spirit of God is upon him, not so that I can preach so that you can go to heaven. Of course that's true, but Jesus doesn't say that. He says in Luke 4, and I quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me, he says, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, when you hear the language of oppression and prisoner, Jesus is not just talking about bondage to the evil one. He's not just talking about bondage to Satan and oppression from Satan. He's talking about Satan and he's also talking about systems. That whatever system keeps people oppressed, the gospel has come to proclaim liberation. That, that Jesus Christ doesn't just want to save you in your own personal experience with him, but he wants to proclaim liberation from the systems that cause destruction in our world and oppression. Is your gospel big enough to embody not just liberation for our souls, but liberation from systems as well. And I believe the gospel that we believe is way too small. 
The gospel that we tend to hold is God will forgive your sins and get you to heaven. But Jesus tells us to pray not for, 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 for earth to get to heaven, but to heaven to come to earth. He says, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so if we're only praying about the afterlife, our gospel is too small. Amen. If we're praying just about what we're going to do in the, as they say in the sweet by and by, as some hymns would say, we're missing the power of the gospel. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. That's not some uh, metaphorical poor. That's not some poor, that, that is a literal poor. That is a literal oppressed. That are literal prisoners that the Spirit of the Lord is on Jesus for. I'm feeling it this afternoon, excuse me. Uh, I've been away for five weeks, excuse me if I keep going. And so, if the gospel we preach does not include liberation for the oppressed, it's not the gospel. If the gospel we preach does not include also spiritual and social and political liberation, it's not the gospel. And so the cross of Jesus, that's how magnificent the cross of Jesus is. That's how powerful the cross of Jesus is. That's how comprehensive the cross of Jesus is. That he doesn't just address one sliver of our lives. He addresses all of our lives. And so the cross teaches us, when we look at the cross, the cross teaches us that there's going to come a day where injustice will have its end. That Jesus Christ has already secured the victory on the cross. That through the resurrection, he's alive. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and he sent the Spirit. That there's going to come a day when he fully and finally reigns, that whatever is unjust will be made right. Whatever is wrong is going to be made right. Whatever's unfair is going to be evened out. So he says language like this, that those who are high are going to be brought low, and those who are low are going to be brought high. That there is coming a day, brothers and sisters, when whatever injustice we see is going to fall to the cross. Whatever oppression we see, whatever exploitation we see will find its end. And until that day comes, to be a Christian is to follow Jesus right here, right now, to eliminate whatever injustice comes our way. And so no matter how long it takes... We know how the story ends. No matter how long it takes, we know Jesus will have the victory. No matter how long the story the, 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 it takes here, we know at the end of the day that he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. That at every, every knee will have to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we have to talk about why we do this. Why, what is our motive for justice? And the way I mean, I mean, say it here so that we're not confused. That we work for justice not because it justifies us. We've been justified, therefore we work for justice. And that's really important to know. Whatever work you do does not justify you, does not make you right with God. Only Christ can make us right with God. 
what Christ has done on the cross, our belief in what he's done for us, that's what makes us right with God. But we have, so our, just, our work for justice doesn't justify us. But because we've been justified, we are called to work for justice. And we do this because as Christians that have been forgiven and have experienced the kindness of God, we remember how we have been. We remember how vulnerable we have been. We remember how poor we have been, literally and spiritually. In the Old Testament, what you see over and over again is remember that you were slaves once. And when you remember you were slaves once, that will teach you how to deal with other people, treating them as people made in the image of God. Why? Because you were a slave once. And so because we've been forgiven by Jesus, because we've experienced his grace and power, we are now called to give expression to that in working for justice. Now, what does it look like to do this? I want to offer this three things for us. We'll take communion, and then we'll start practicing this week. Justice, first of all, how do, how do we begin this? And this is a massive, I'll probably come back next week with a, 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 just to flesh this out a little bit more. But to work for justice requires us to pray. Working for justice requires us to pray. Now, all of us in this room, there's something that bothers you, that just enrages you. You see oppression and exploitation take place, and something bothers you. And I want you to take note every time you're bothered by something, every time you're angry about something. I want you to take note. And for those of you that are not angry about anything, um, as, as the phrase goes, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. <laughs> because in a sinful world like ours, you should be angry about something. And not angry in a destructive way, angry in a restorative kind of way. That that's not right. And this has to line up with the kingdom of God. And so I want you to pay attention to what triggers you this week. And for some, it's like ab abortion and, or police brutality and the way immigrants are treated or whatever it is. But pay attention to it and what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And so, but to work for justice requires us to pray. It requires us to pray. And for two reasons, really. Number one, because to work for justice means that you're coming against principalities and powers. L listen, when... <laughs> When you're dealing with criminal injustice, academic injustice, you know, injustice here and there, we realize that what's at work here is not just a couple of people here. What's at work here is be, it's principalities and powers. And if we are going to address some of the injustices that in, uh, exist in our world, we can't do it apart from God. We, that's why we need to be cultivating a life with prayer. And intercession, because only it is not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so if we think we can do this in our own strength, we're wrong. Only God can do this. And so we are called to connect ourselves to this lifeline, which is God, in prayer. The other reason we pray, though, is because what all too often happens with us when we are witnesses to injustice is we see something that triggers us, that angers us, and then we become that thing that we are angry about. Yes, yes. That's right. 
And so prayer anchors us to address injustice in the way of the cross, in the way of the kingdom of God, in the way of Jesus. Because left to my own devices, after a while, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to handle this in my way. Prayer anchors us and keeps us focused on the way of the cross and the way of the kingdom. So everything Rosie talked about last week, about cultivating a life with God and prayer, is not just so you can have a great time with God. It's not just so you can feel some good stuff about God. It's to empower us to work for justice. Justice requires us to pray. Justice also requires us to protest. Justice requires us to protest. The Old Testament prophets, you could argue, were Old Testament protesters. Because time and time again, they would witness injustice. And they would say something about it. Privately and publicly. They say, that's wrong. And sometimes they do some very creative kind of performance art and prophetic ministry there on the streets to say what you're doing is wrong. And we are called, I would say as well, to protest. Now, when Christians hear this, they get nervous. And it makes me laugh. Why Christians get nervous when they hear the word protest? couple of reasons why. Number one, when you say protest, there's not just one way to protest. There's a myriad of ways of protesting. That's number one. But what makes me laugh is this. We come from a tradition, a stream that's known as Protestant. In the word Protestant is the word, I'm going to get real deep on you guys. In the word Protestant... You stay with me, stay with me. And the word Protestant is the word protest. We are here because of a protest. Listen, Martin Luther in the 1500s saw injustices that were taking place in the Roman Catholic Church. And listen, I, I love my brothers and sisters in the Roman Catholic Church, but in 1500s, there were some significant abuses that was taking place. And so he said, that's not right. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, a soul in purgatory springs. That's what one of the sayings. That as soon as you drop a coin into this, your loved one will be free from purgatory. And so these are some of the things, injustices that was taking place. And Martin Luther said, this is wrong. And he began to protest and say, we can't do this. And a movement began. We come from a rich tradition of protesters. And so in the kingdom of God, to, to protest might mean a whole lot of things. Don't get caught up in all. But, it, but we are called when we see injustice to speak out against it, to protest it. Elie Vassell, who experienced concentration camps and the Holocaust, he says there may be times when we're powerless to prevent injustice, but there must never be a time where we fail to protest. And we protest in many ways. Some of you, we are invited to protest using the platforms that we have, let's say, on social media. 
to say this is wrong. As long as we know that just because you posted an article doesn't mean you're, you're doing justice. You say, click, let me send that article. That felt good. Uh, I'm doing working for justice. That's the part of it, but that's not it. That's a good start here. But we use our words carry power. Our words, and so whether that means we're protesting, whether it means we're gathering together when we see things that are unjust in our society, I would say to you, we are invited to protest with our lives that which is wrong, doing it in the way of Jesus. And so we're called uh, to prayer, we're called to protest. And finally, justice requires us to Prioritize proximity to the poor. Lots of P's here. Prioritize proximity to the poor. Let me tell a story to flesh this out. There's a church in London called Holy Trinity Brompton, and they were putting together a a huge worship event in the city that was going to be held at uh, Royal Albert Hall, a huge and just a beautiful concert hall. However, there were more people that were signed up uh, that they expected. And so the organizers were wondering, how do we seat the rest of these people? How do we seat these guests? And so eventually they, they went to Buckingham Palace to ask for permission to use the royal boxes. And said, can we put some of our people in these royal boxes? And uh, these are special private balconies that are reserved for royalty, for heads of state, for folks like Nelson Mandela, the President of the United States. And so uh, they, they were not sure what the answer would be by going to Buckingham Palace. But Buckingham Palace said, yes, you can use the boxes on the condition that you seat your most esteemed guests there. And so the organizers wrote back after the event to thank the Queen for their generosity. And they wrote, yes, they indeed seated their most honored guests in the box. They seated a group of homeless people who had wanted to attend the event. When I thought about that story, I thought, that's what justice starts to look like. That you start writing, which is wrong. That you start providing opportunity. That you start looking at the areas of people that have been treated particular ways and seen in particular ways. And you begin to esteem them highly. You start looking at the, the wrong in the world and you begin to start making it right. And this is why we exist as a church. We exist as a church not just to lead people to Jesus. We exist as a church to see the kingdom of God begin to get manifested in our community. This is why we have a community development corporation. This is why we have a, a, a medical center downstairs to work with people who, are, who don't have insurance and are undocumented. This is why we have uh, youth organizations at New Life Fellowship Church to train teenagers to be community activists and community organizers. This is why we work for the poor. This is why we work for those that are marginalized because at the end of the day, we're not just trying to get people to heaven. At the end of the day, we want people, we want heaven to come to earth. And that's why we exist as a church. And this is what Jesus is calling us to do. Amen. Amen. Let me invite you to close your eyes.
Let me invite the worship team to come forward. Folks who are going to be offering communion. Let me invite you to close your eyes here. Maybe you sense God speaking to you. Maybe you sensed some form of conviction or the voice of the Spirit prompting you. But God calls us to, to do justice sometimes in very small ways and sometimes in very big ways. God is calling us to live out this mishpat, and so it's justice. And so right where you're at right now, what might the Holy Spirit be saying to you? Maybe it is, Lord, help me to cultivate a deeper life of prayer. Lord, help me to let my voice be known when I witness injustice. Lord, help me to get close to those that are typically on the margin. Take a moment to listen to what God might be saying to you specifically today. Amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to take communion, and before we take communion, we're going to offer a, uh, a prayer of confession. And the ushers will lead you to take bread and dip it in the cup. You're going to hear someone say, the, bread, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you. And you'll take it back to your seat, you'll hold it there, and I'll lead us back to take it together. But let's put that um, prayer of confession on the screen. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so let's pray this before we come to the table together. God of all mercy, we confess that we have sinned against you, opposing your will in our lives. We have denied your goodness in each other, in ourselves, and in the world you have created. We repent of the evil that enslaves us, the evil we have done, and the evil done on our behalf. Forgive, restore, and strengthen us through our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we may abide in your love and serve only your will. Amen. Please come forward. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's all take together. prayer team to come to my left. There's a few folks that, a few kinds of folks that I want to invite for prayer. 
Maybe you have been on the receiving end of some injustice and you don't know what to do with it. Maybe you need to grieve today. Maybe you need wisdom from God to know how do I respond to this injustice that I've experienced? How do I do it in a way that's consistent with the kingdom of God in the way of Jesus? Um, and so if you are on the receiving end of some kind of injustice, maybe you just need God to fill you with whatever you need today. Others of us in this room, God has called us to do something about injustice that comes our way. And for some of you, maybe this is the first time you may be hearing some kind of talk like this, like, wait a minute, you mean I'm supposed to follow Jesus into the world and actually, like, this is not just about the afterlife, like, do something now? For some of you, that's like, wow, this is new information. This is new information. And if you're trying to cultivate that sense of justice, and maybe you're saying, Jesus says these words, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which also can be said for justice, shall be filled. And so maybe today, a hunger, a thirst, and you, Lord, Lord, give me a hunger. Give me a thirst for justice, your justice, your kingdom, your will, your power. And maybe that's your prayer today. Or maybe you realize there's something right in front of you. I have to do something. Lord, I need your wisdom. I need your courage. I need your boldness. But we end in prayer because it's not by power. It's not by might. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. And so we'll have folks here. Let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. With your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, hungry and thirsty for righteousness. May you join Jesus in what Jesus is already doing. And may you work for the healing and the restoration of our world, whether that's in your, your own home, on your block, in your workplace, wherever you go. May you be aware that Jesus is with you wherever you go. And so I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the just name of Jesus. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, everyone.